0: Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. The SCORE Innovation Podcast channel sheds light on evolving consumer needs in life and health and property and casualty reinsurance and connects them to global ecosystems. You can subscribe to the channel on your favorite podcast platform to get notified of all our new exciting content. Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast channel for a new Property and Casualty episode. My name is Veva Collison, Head of Marketing for the Americas, and with me are GQ Chiu, offshore wind underwriter, and Lionel Capoz construction underwriter. Today's topic is the first part of a two-part series dedicated to offshore wind farms. In this introductory episode, we are also pleased to welcome back Nicholas, this curious 10-year-old kid who has already participated in an episode on hydrogen available on the channel from 2021. Hi, Nicholas. Can you please reintroduce yourself for those who don't know you?
1: Hi, I'm Nicholas. I'm in 1st grade now and I live in Brooklyn. I still have a lot of questions about new energies and what the future holds for my generation. The reason why I want to learn more about the renewable energies is because old energies are not reliable since they don't provide enough for all the people that come on the planet and also they hurt the planet. The way they hurt the planet is by warming it, causing gaps in the atmosphere and causing global warming. If we create other energies that are reliable and keep the planet safe, then it would help a lot. What I know about wind farms is that you have to have many of them. And if you don't, then they are practically useless. I've also heard some negative thoughts that they are not reliable since they only provide so much power. I think that I've heard that one hour of collecting power is just enough to produce energy for one light. Maybe not one light, but one or two homes out of millions. So, my thoughts are a little negative towards them and investing in them, but I would really like to understand more about this and possibly be convinced that they are a good
0: solution for the future. Thank you, Nicolas, for this great introduction. Lionel and GQ, would you like to introduce yourselves as well? You have a little challenge ahead to convince this young man, it looks like.
2: Yes, uh, I see that. Yes. So I'm Lionel Posey. I'm a construction energy underwriter and uh, I do onshore risk and offshore wind risk. And um, I'm based in Houston.
3: Hi. Hi. My name is uh, GQ. I'm an offshore wind underwriter. Uh, I'm based in our London office.
0: Great. Well, welcome, everybody. Can you tell us a little about the topic we're covering today?
2: Oh, yes, sure. Uh, there's a lot of things to say about this topic. Um, uh, renewable energy is uh, defined as energy that can be uh, renewed, uh, which is not the case for fuels like gas oil, or coal. And uh, I would say that one should remember that humans have been harnessing wind energy for millennia, and there's nothing new about it. And if I could give you an example, uh, did you know that the use of wind for ship propulsion dates back to antiquity? And uh, at the end of the 16th century, the popularity of wind means was at its peak in Europe, and especially in the Netherlands. Then with the Industrial Revolution during the 19th century, the boom of coal reshaped the economic landscape so the first energy transition was not from fossil fuels to renewables but the other way around. Now Nicolas I'm getting back to your comments because you had some negative thoughts and uh, most of the wind farms you will see are called onshore wind farms because they are located on land and speaking of reliability the offshore environment is the best place to be according to the data of one of the global leaders of offshore wind in North Sea 91% of the time, there is enough wind for production. For example, one rotation of a GE's Alliat X wind turbine could power a house for two days. So offshore wind would be a core technology to deliver the large scale, reliable, as I said, affordable and zero carbon power needed to accelerate the global energy transition.
0: Nicholas, this is your chance to ask some questions on these topics to our two experts here. What would you like to ask? You're talking about onshore and offshore wind farms. I only saw
1: them on the lands all along the roads. Does this mean that we have wind farms also in the sea?
3: You are correct, Nicholas. The offshore wind farms are the wind turbines built in the middle of the sea. So in terms of technology, There's not much difference between the onshore and offshore wind farms. In general, the size of the offshore wind turbine is much bigger than onshore because the wind at the sea is generally much, much stronger than at the land. And of course, it it will be more expensive and take much longer time to build uh, offshore wind farms because it's in the middle of the sea. It's very difficult to reach. And you will need a very very large boat uh, and some other special tools equipment to build it.
1: I see. So how do you bring the electricity generated from the turbines to the land?
3: Yeah. So electricity generated from the turbine is transmitted through the power cable, we call it inter-array cable. The cables usually buried on, underneath the seabed, so you can't really see them from the boat or from the helicopter. Those inter-array cables will bring the electricity from each turbine to offshore substation. Now, as the electricity generated from the turbine, could, is in the medium-voltage stage, so it's not a very high-voltage. So if you directly transport the medium-voltage electricity to the customer, who usually is quite far away, most of the electricity will be lost. So, to prevent this, the electricity from the turbine will be transformed into the high voltage at this offshore substation before it's transported to the onshore substation by the high voltage power cable, we call the export cable. So, at the onshore substation, the electricity will be further transported to the users like our home or the office or the factory by the national grid system.
1: What are the advantages of putting a wind turbine in the middle of the sea?
3: Well,
2: Nicolas, there are, there are actually many of them. Um, the first one I would say is efficiency. Offshore wind is stronger and steadier than on land, and um, a steadier supply of wind means a more reliable source of energy. So you can install many gigawatts, but if the wind doesn't blow, you will not produce any energy. So generally speaking, the larger you can build a turbine, the more cost effective it will be. That's because the bigger the blades are, the more wind can be captured and turned into torque The more torque the more power. It's as simple as that. And also, the higher the tower is, the faster the speeds are. And the offshore environment is perfect for that because there is plenty of space.
1: Yes, but it's very noisy, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that's a good point, Nicolas. But it's actually my second uh, second thing I was about to say, which is the environmental aspect. We are all very happy that Offshore wind farm can produce electricity, but the not in that backyard attitude will always exist to some degree. And it is perfectly understandable. There is clearly a noise and a visual impact. But the good thing is most offshore projects are now built too far from land, so you will barely see them nor hear them. So being miles out of from the coast, offshore turbines are further away from the local population. And Nicholas, if I may also add a third good reason, I would say. Globally, 95% of wind power is located on land as opposed to at sea. That
1: leaves a lot of room.
2: Yeah. What it means is the potential of the offshore side is massive and oceans provide the perfect location to build wind farms in terms of scale and openness. More wind farms being built means more clean, sustainable energy can be produced.
1: Doesn't this cause problems for the fish and the corals around?
3: That's a very good point, Nicholas. First of all, Any site with a coral reef or or as a fish breed ground or any marine life will be avoided. We will not build the offshore wind farms at those locations. And after we decided where to build the wind farms, the detailed environmental impact study will be carried out. Our marine specialists, environmental specialists will be using different methods and different tools to look into what's exactly impact the offshore wind turbines have to the fish, corals, and other marine life. Any site with negative impact to local fish or other marine life, for instance, dolphins, will be avoided. Only locations with very minimal impact to marine life will be selected.
1: I'm glad to hear that.
3: You know, Nicola, interesting, the latest research shows offshore wind turbines actually have a very positive impact to the fish population scientists find out a lot more black sea bars around the turbines at the Brook Island wind farm. This is the first commercial-sized offshore wind farm built in the United States, located in offshore New York.
1: That's right next to where I live.
3: I know. The reason for that is probably fish likes to hang around near the physical structures like uh, wind turbine foundations.
1: This green energy, though, in the last episode, I was mentioning that the cause of global warming is mainly because of fossil fuels. Are we sure this is better? Why should we use this kind of energy rather than oil and gas, for instance?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked me this question because this is a key point. And to make it short, the answer is yes. When you build an offshore wind farm, you will have many phases. Uh, there is a manufacturer phase with production of steel and other components. There's also installation phase with vessel transport and ever lifting. It's followed by the operation phase with some maintenance. And finally, at the end of the life of a wind farm, there is a decommissioning phase during which all the assets are removed. All these phases, Nicholas, all these phases, they will emit carbon dioxide. But
1: why is it green energy?
2: Uh, It is green energy because most of these emissions will happen once for each turbine. They will be in service for at least 25 years and producing electricity without emitting any more carbon dioxide. There will be, of course, emissions from the vessels used for service and maintenance, but these account for about 10 percent of total emissions from offshore wind. If you want a, a, just a very simple example, um, a wind turbine will emit six grams of carbon dioxide for every kilowatt hour of electricity. By comparison, it goes up to 900 grams for power generation based on fossil fuels. So, if you switch from coal fired generation to wind power, the carbon emitted from energy production is reduced by more than 99%. That's the reason why it's green.
1: That's fascinating. What's the actual size of a turbine on the water? How big do they actually get?
2: That's a good point, Nicolas, because it's such a fast-evolving technology. Each year, each year, there is a new, bigger turbine. They are probably the largest rotating machine on Earth. And these turbines are kind of, I would say, unbelievable engineering wonders. The largest and the most powerful wind turbine currently under development has an individual capacity of 18 megawatt. The turbine will be able to produce enough electricity annually to provide power for 96,000 people.
1: Oh, then I guess you proved me wrong.
2: Well, I'm happy I managed to convince you. <laughs> and I know that you're living in, um, in New York. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, the rotor of diameter is uh, 260 meters. And uh, this is as big as 2.5 times the height of the Statue of Liberty. Also, the Big Ben clock height.
1: Wow, that is really big.
2: It is, it is. And the blaze have a sweep area of 53,000 square meter, which equals to the area of seven football pitches. I'm sure it makes sense to you.
1: Yeah. Isn't it long to build a wind farm? Could you explain the steps?
3: Yes, it is. Think about the size of the turbine, as Eleanor mentioned before. You are actually put something really, really big into the middle of the sea where you have a big wave and strong wings. It involves lots of planning, designing, fabrication, transportation, and the installation works. At the first stage, you need to select a good site to build the wind farm. A site with a good wind speed, easy to access, suitable seabed condition and water depths, and a very minimal impact to the environment and the fish, as we mentioned before. This stage we call the development stage, usually take three to six years. Could be much longer, sometimes up to 10 years.
1: I'll be in university by then.
3: Yes, yeah. So that's why sometimes we call the offshore wind project, we call the cradle to grave project. Once the suitable site is being selected, we are going to the next stage to build it. We will need the design and fabricate the suitable wind turbines, foundations, electricity power cables, transformers, and other equipment. Then transport them to the site and erected construction. It will usually take two to five years to construct a wind farm. Once it's built, it will stay there for next 20 to 25 years to generate electricity.
1: Is it used a lot today?
2: Oh yes, it is. Um, If we look back from the beginning in the early 90s, it took about 24 years to reach the 10 gigawatt threshold of installed capacity for offshore wind in 2015. Then it took just three years to double this capacity and exceed the 20 gigawatt threshold, which was we reach first half of the year of 2018. And currently, the total installed capacity by 2022 is around 58 gigawatt. So you can see that the sector is booming. And according to the GWEC Market Intelligence report, over 315 gigawatt of new offshore wind capacity will be added over the next decade, bringing total global offshore wind capacity to 370 gigawatt by the end of 2031.
1: And what about
2: tomorrow? Well, uh, I think that offshore wind is ready to play its part in mitigating climate change and on achieving carbon neutrality. It represents a key opportunity for countries to push the energy transition forward at scale. Uh, There are a lot of great things to come. What do you think, GQ?
3: Of course, yeah. I think we are aiming to reduce the carbon emission, come back to the global warming. Many, many more offshore wind farms will be constructed in the next decades, as you mentioned before. Many nations have been set up very ambitious targets, including China, USA, European countries, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, and many other regions. The turbine will be getting bigger, better, and smarter. The technology in in this sector will keep improving and keep it innovated. Wind farms will be constructed further offshore, where the wind speed is even stronger and and more steady, although there are more technical challenges, for instance, like deep water depths.
1: Thank you so much for enlightening me and for changing my mind on how I feel about wind farms. You have proved that I have a lot of misconceptions about this topic, And it is fascinating to me that the most powerful wind turbine is able to provide power to 96,000 people. I'm hopeful for the future and thank you for having
0: me. Well, thank you all for joining us for this episode. JQ, Lionel and Nicholas. I think um, this was a great introductory episode for this series. and, And hopefully our listeners learned a lot about it as well. We will continue the offshore wind conversation in the next episode dedicated to the role of reinsurers. We will also welcome Xinyang Sang, wind farm underwriter from Singapore for that conversation. So please stay tuned for more soon. Thank you for listening to us today. You can subscribe to the SCORE Innovation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite platform, and be our first listener to new releases. Stay tuned. And see you at the next episode.